Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. All of us hate injustice. We hate when there are evil things, wrong things being done to us or to the people around us. And so when we experience injustice or evil of any kind, most of us sort of, sort of get upset by it. It makes us cry. It makes us question. It makes us angry. It makes us defensive. We want to do something to fix the wrong or the injustice. When we see injustice being done in our world or evil happening around us, it confuses us, causes us to want to do something, to change something, to fight for something. It's normal for humans to love what is good and to hate what is evil. It's normal for us to love what is just and to hate injustice. To say that I love what is good is, in fact, to say that I hate what is not good. To say that I love justice is to say that I hate injustice. They're inseparable. I can't be neutral about good and evil. I can't be neutral about justice and injustice. They're aligned and connected together. To love what is good and right is to hate what is wrong. And so when we look at God, the reason we act this way is because this is who God is. God loves what is right and just, good. God hates what's wrong and evil. And we hear that and we go, okay, I actually need God to be that way. This is Good news. Can you imagine if God was neutral about evil? Imagine if God was neutral about good. Imagine if he was neutral about injustice or justice. No, it's good news that the God of the universe is someone who loves what is right and good and hates what is evil and wrong. That's good news. Dave was talking about this last week, that the God of the universe is righteous in all his ways, which means A hundred percent of the time, God does what is right. He always does what is right. And he's the only one with a perfect standard of what is right and good. He's the only one who with perfect standard can say, I hate what is wrong and evil. And I want him, need him, the judge of the universe, to love what is good and right and to hate what is evil and wrong and to fight for what is just. Without this, life is meaningless. We're lost. This is good news. And I want this for our society. I want this for my family and friends, but I'm not sure I want it for me. Right? I need God to fight against what's unjust and evil and wrong. I need him to be just. But when it comes to me and you, you do wrong. I do wrong. You do evil, I do evil. When I do evil and you do evil, when you do wrong and I do wrong, what is God to do? Look the other way? I kind of would like God to be a codependent God who just likes to enable me to do whatever I want to do and for him to be against the evil and injustice of everyone else but not mine. I want him to be neutral to my issues Look the other way, but that's not who he is. So we're working our way through the book of Romans. And up to this point, Paul's been talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
The, the bad news for all of us is that we're worse than we're willing to admit as a human. But God's grace, good news, is that he's better than we can ever imagine. That against the backdrop of realizing we're all rebels, we're all fallen short of God's glory, is this beautiful truth that God is loving and merciful. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. That God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. This is good news, but the good news is against the backdrop of things that are hard, that I'm a mess. And we like to fast forward over that, right? Like, do we really want to all sit here and talk about how a mess we are? Do we want to talk about our sin and our evilness? Like, that doesn't make for good sound bites or Instagram posts or good feel-good sermons. It doesn't make you feel good to come in here and listen to a preacher talk about how evil and sinful we are as a human race. And yet, that's what Paul does in Romans 1, 2, and 3. He slows down to almost a creep to put on display just how messed up our world is and how messed up we are. And so if you have your Bibles, welcome to a positive thought for today. Romans chapter one, and we're gonna work through verses 18 to 23. And I gotta warn you ahead of time that these verses and actually the next number of weeks in the book of Romans, you're not gonna like. It runs contrary to the way I naturally, normally think. It's going to offend you. Some of you are going to listen to what I'm going to say over the next number of weeks, and it might make you go, if this is who the God of the Bible is, if this is biblical Christianity, if this is what Faith Church believes, I don't want anything to do with it. It might cause you to hit the eject button from God, from church, from this church. Because what Paul is going to delve into in these next sets of verses is offensive. It's been offensive to me and hard to hear. It's hard truth that takes work to understand. And so if you're going to understand it, it's going to require you to lean in and not hit the eject button. And so I would ask you over the next number of weeks, lean in with me and give me a chance to unpack all of Romans chapter 1. And then make your decision whether you're going to hit the eject button or not. But if you would ask the Lord of the universe to guide you into all truth, regardless of what I say, he will lead you and guide you and help you to understand what is true and right and good. And you might just, if you lean into Romans chapter 1, you might just better understand all that's wrong with you, yes, all that's wrong with our world, yes, and all the greatness and goodness of God. But it's going to take work. So God, would you be with us now as we lean into this, that hard truths are hard and sometimes breed misunderstanding. So help me to be accurate to who you are and what your word says. Please keep me from saying anything that would be misleading or wrong or even saying things in a way that wouldn't represent you well. I pray that every person listening to the sound of my voice would listen to your spirit that you would guide us and comfort us and convict us and help us to understand your character. I ask all this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Romans chapter 1. We're actually going to start in verse 16 and then jump to verse 18. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith 
from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Good news, right? And now Paul in verse 18 is gonna take a hard right turn. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being in birds and animals and reptiles. This is God's word. Let's unpack it together. He starts out by saying the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Right? And so if you're just listening to this, you go, yeah, this is what I meant. This is what I thought about God, that he is this divine linebacker. If you have the linebacker version of God in your mind, where God is waiting to tackle and smash people, as soon as you make a wrong move, he's going to annihilate you. I mean, on one level, isn't that what this verse says? The wrath of God, here it comes. He's going to tackle you. He's going to annihilate you. But remember, God is a God who loves what is right and just and good and hates what is wrong and evil. And so this is why Paul starts out by saying the wrath of God is being revealed. Now let's look at the definition of what is the wrath of God. The wrath of God is God's intense hatred of what is wrong and evil. This is the technical definition of God's wrath. He has an intense hatred of what is wrong and evil. And again, you might go, exactly. That's why I think God's this cosmic linebacker who has this intense hatred towards sin and he's going to annihilate anyone who missteps. He's gonna knock you down and gloat over you. And yet, that's not what God's wrath means. See, for us, when we see God's intense hatred of what is wrong and evil, we think of our intense hatred of what's wrong and evil. So if something is wrong and evil, we go, you know what I would do? If someone did that to my wife or my friend, or if someone did that in this world to those people, someone acted like that, I know what I would do. I'd get so upset, I would annihilate them like a linebacker, right? I would have an emotional outbreak. I would get angry, fueled, with fire, and I'd come after you and go postal, right? Like, that's what we know, but God is not like us. That's not how God acts. God does not have emotional outbursts. God is measured. He is 100% right all the time. He is not vindictive or vengeful. He is not emotional and angry. He's deliberate in his love for what is good and his hate for what is evil. And we wouldn't want him any other way but to have an intense hatred for what is wrong and evil without emotion, without bias, measured, precise in love 
and righteousness and justice. He hates what is wrong and evil. And so if you go back to what Romans chapter 1 is talking about here, he describes where this hatred is being revealed against. He says this hatred towards sin is being revealed from heaven against godlessness and wickedness, suppression of truth. He says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities and power have been known. People are without excuse. Although they know God, they neither glorify him, they neither give him thanks. Although they claim to be wise, they become fools. They exchange the glory of God for images that look like God. And so what Paul is saying here is he has this intense hatred towards godlessness, towards wickedness, towards suppression of truth, towards ungrateful hearts, towards foolishness, towards exchanging the truth for lies. This is what God hates, godlessness, suppression of truth ungrateful hearts, right? And so when I look at this, I go, I can see why God would hate those things because I hate wickedness. I hate when people lie. I hate when people are foolish or ungrateful. And if I, as a sinful person, if I feel that towards things, I can understand why the God of the universe would feel this way towards godlessness and wickedness and lies and foolishness Paul's trying to convey to us this whole section of Romans chapter one can be sort of um, summarized in one short word, the word sin, right? Like all of this, these different words all point to this word the Bible uses over and over called sin, which is the failure to align your heart to God's. It's like this wickedness, this godlessness, it's suppressing truth, a failure to align my life by nature when I'm conceived, I'm unwilling to align my heart with God's by attitude, by action. It's beyond just my behaviors. It's my motives. It's this unwillingness, failure to align. It's sort of the de-godding of God. It's rejecting God. It's stripping God of any sense that he is God and I am not. That's a failure to align my life to who he is and what he is. And the Bible calls this sin. Right? So this wickedness that Romans is talking about, this ungodliness, this suppression, this exchanging, it's all under the umbrella of sin. And the Bible says all of us are uh, inflicted with this. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Like I'm sinful, you're sinful, every person on planet earth sinful. It's not like if you're sinful, it's we're all sinful. Every single one of us have failed to do this. Every person ever conceived fail to align their heart to God's. And we're all guilty, right? And so Paul now is gonna kind of work through in these verses sort of how it happens. He says, suppress the truth. People suppress the truth by their wickedness. We'll, we'll get back to this, suppress the truth by their wickedness, sin. So what might be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and Divine nature have been clearly seen. So, so what Paul is trying to say here is every single person on planet Earth sees God, that God is plain to everyone, that his invisible qualities, like God is invisible, right? But his qualities of eternal power and divine nature are on display each and every day, everywhere for all of us to see. 
That God puts himself on display everywhere. So here's how the Bible will describe it. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glories of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where God's voice is not heard. His voice goes out to all the earth. His words to the end of the earth. He's like, everywhere I look, everywhere, there's a sense of God that he is here. He makes himself plain to us. He says, because God made it plain. God is plain and has made it plain. This could be better translated in them. Not only is he made it plain that he's here outside with what I can perceive, there's something inside all of us that goes, there is a God. There's someone outside of me and you. There's someone that's holding all this together. So, so when I see a beautiful piece of art or I read an incredible book, or listen to incredible music, it's plain to me that there is an artist and an architect. Why is it when I see a beautiful sunrise, or I look at a newborn baby, or I watch someone die and the life is out of them, it was there one moment and gone another, what is all of that? It's plain to me and in me that there is an architect and artist. There's no way that this world in all its beauty and balance and intricacy and intelligence, that there's nothing behind all of this? What Romans is saying, it's obvious God is here and people were without excuse. Why? Because what they're doing is suppressing that truth. Here's where sin comes in. That sense of there is a God is plain to all of us, Paul says, and I push that down. I say nah to that truth. Because what does that mean if there is a God? I've got to suppress that. I've got to silence that. I've got to distort that. I've got to step away from that. I've got to push that sense down. And God says that suppression of what is true, which is plain to everyone, that there's an architect, an artist, an intelligent designer who made all of this so that we are without excuse, he says, is what causes this sin. He continues. He says, for although they knew God, It's plain to them and it's plain in them. They neither glorify him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. There's the sense that what is plain to us, what is plain to us, we push it down. It's kind of like if I pick up this Bible somewhere in here, it's going to tell me it's made somewhere. It's going to say made in the USA or made in Malaysia somewhere. It's stamped with where it was made. Everything around us is stamped with made by God. Every person, every mountain, every ingredient that you use to make buffalo wings, everything has been made by God, stamped, made by God. And it's plain to us, that there's an architect and an artist, but we suppress that. And when we suppress that, it darkens how we think and it makes us foolish instead of wise. It darkens, it taints how we see the world when I push that down and it makes me foolish in my approach. There's no God, it's all random. Well, who wrote that song? Bach wrote that song. Well, who made you? Random. That's foolishness. That's craziness. It's plain to them. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. This is the next part. We exchange the glory of the immortal God. Have you done an exchange lately? You know, you buy something 
You think for sure you're gonna like this, you need this, it's gonna fit. You like it, you need it, you're gonna fit, you, you can afford it. You get home and you go, dang, doesn't fit, I don't like it, it's too much money. So what do you do? Go back to the store and exchange it, right? And you either get another one, different size, different color, or you get your money back. Paul's like, that's what we do with God. In our foolish hearts, we darken what's plain to us, that there is a creator. We push that down. Then we go and make an exchange. I don't want this God. Give me another one. I don't want this God. Give me my money back. I'll make another one in my image. I don't like this form of Christianity. Give me another one. I don't like this form of religion. Give me another one. I'm exchanging what is true for something I want that I like better. And Paul says, when you do that, that's sin and it's producing wickedness. You know, in our world today and in the ancient world, people literally made gods out of rock, literally make gods out of rock and stone and wood, right? And you'll see people now or in ancient times worshiping, burning incense to some object that they made with their hands. And Paul's like, that's what happens when you're darkened and you push this, what's plain to you down, you suppress that truth and you exchange it. You start building things for yourself in the form of God and you worship those things. We're way too sophisticated to do that with, anim with, uh, with objects, but we do it in sophisticated Western ways by worshiping comfort, worshiping sex, worshiping money, worshiping safety, worshiping people, worshiping popularity, worshiping all this other stuff. Now, we're not going to make idols out of wood or stone, but boy, I'm worshiping how many buds I can drink for game time. I'm worshiping my kids and following around and making sure they're safe. We don't create idols out of wood or clay or stone, but as humans, we create idols. And Paul says, God's wrath is revealed because we suppress the truth that's plain to us that he is here, and we exchange God for false gods. And so if you ask yourself, stick with this for a minute. If you ask yourself, if you ever find yourself asking yourself, what's wrong with me? What's going on inside me? What's wrong with me? Paul says, this is what's wrong with me and you. We're suppressing the plain truth that there is a God, a creator, and we're exchanging the God creator for a new one a one we like, one we think is better, the one that we like the way it makes me feel, the way it talks, I'm gonna get a new one. We all know what's going on in our world, why environmental problems are the way they are, why there's children and people around the globe that don't have food to eat, wanna know why our cancer comes from, with all the disorientation of what's happening politically and culturally, all the sexualized everything in our society, the sort of ambiguity of everything that's going on. You want to ask the question of why all of this is happening. What is wrong with me and what is wrong with the world? Paul says, this is what's wrong. That every single one of us and have been doing this since the beginning of time, suppress the truth that God is here and exchange the truth for a lie that I'll worship whatever God I want to make me feel good. This is Paul says the source of sin and wickedness and godliness and godlessness. And, and Paul says, God hates this. Why would God hate this? God hates this because he knows it will destroy us. 
He knows that if we follow this path, it's destroying our society and our world. So it's worth asking the question, why would we do this? Why would we suppress the truth and exchange it for something else? Well, why do you suppress any truth? Because you don't like it. Does it make you comfortable? You don't understand it. You prefer some other news. You want something different, so you suppress it and go, I don't want to hear that. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. Right? Like we do that all the time when we just don't want to hear it. We suppress it. Or why would you make an exchange? Because you don't like what God says. You don't like his character. You don't like what the Bible says. You don't like this stripe of Christianity. You don't like this church, right? And so what do you do? You exchange it for another one because you don't like what you're hearing. And God says, I hate that. I hate that because I know that what you're exchanging it for is going to destroy you. His intense hatred towards this His wrath towards this is because he loves us so very much and he knows that if he gives us over to what we want, it will destroy us. And so he goes, I hate that. I hate that evil, that injustice, that sin, that alignment with other gods. I hate that because it's going to destroy you. We're gonna dig into this more, the application and implication of God's wrath in the next number of weeks. But here's what I wanna kinda conclude today. What does Jesus think about all of this? What does Jesus think about God's wrath? Because you know, when you look at Jesus in the Gospels, it doesn't look like he's walking around Palestine with an intense hatred towards sin. He doesn't look like that kind of guy. He looks like mild, gentle Jesus, teaching, loving, right, grace and truth, but he's this kind of kind guy that we all go, wow, I want to be like Jesus. He doesn't look like intense hatred towards sin. So is it possible that there's different gods? Like is the God of the Old Testament and the God that Paul's writing about a different God and Jesus is a different God and I'll like the Jesus God, but I don't like the other God who has wrath? Like how does this all come together and do you get to pick and choose And so it's helpful for me to to hear what Jesus says about some of this because it reminds me that it isn't pick and choose. So Jesus says this about wrath. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call righteous, but sinners. Remember what righteous means, doing doing the right thing 100% of the time? Can you do that? Can you do what is right in motive and in action 100% of the time? No, like nobody can, only God can. And so Jesus goes, I haven't come to call the righteous because there isn't anyone but sinners, those of us who have not aligned our hearts with God and who have fallen short of God's glory. That's who he's come to, not the healthy, but the sick. And we're all sick. You know, one of the worst things that happens in our society today, misdiagnosis. Imagine going into a doctor with symptoms and your doctor misdiagnoses your symptoms. Is there anything worse? Hey, you know, Joe, I I saw your scans, but I I don't really wanna hurt Joe's feelings. I don't really want Joe to feel bad. You know, if I tell Joe what's really on the scans, it's gonna change his life and it's gonna discourage him and depress him. It might make him anxious, might make him worried. So I'm gonna suppress the truth of what's really going on to make him feel better. I'm gonna exchange the truth about his severe condition for a lie and say, just take more vitamins, you're good. Imagine a doctor who misdiagnoses the problem. 
how tragic and malpractice that is. And so Jesus comes to planet Earth as a physician who diagnoses the problem, says all of you, Joe and every person that walks the face of the earth, you're sick. You can't live 100% of the time in a way that pleases God. And so I have come to not only diagnose the problem accurately, but to provide the solution for you through my life and death and resurrection. And what's happening in our society, and we're all really comfortable about it, is the misdiagnosis of what's happening and what's real. And when everything is misdiagnosed, it brings chaos all around us. But when the fact of the matter is we have not aligned our hearts to God, we have rejected God in our hearts, we've rejected God in our homes, we've rejected God in our families, we've rejected God in our spirituality, in our sexuality, we've rejected God in our schools, in our culture, in our workplace, in Hollywood, in music, every which way politically, we've rejected God. And God's like, I hate that. Because I know what that's going to do to you. And so I send my son. And, and look at what John says about Jesus. He says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. This is describing Jesus, right? Whoever believes in the Son, who, who recognizes that you're not righteous, you got it messed up, you need a Savior, and you believe in Him, you have life. You're healed. You're forgiven. You're set free from that. But whoever rejects that, God's wrath remains on them. What does that mean? That God's intense hatred towards our sin remains. Do you want to walk through life? And this is not a fear tactic. This is diagnosing accurately the truth. Do you want to walk through life with God's wrath remaining on you? Is that what you want to live with? His intense hatred towards your unwillingness to align your heart to him? He'll let you do it. But imagine that, play that out. No, the one who says, I believe in the son has life. The one who rejects the son does not have life because God's wrath remains on him. Paul says it this way in Romans 3.23. He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? This is our universal diagnosis. But then just, just a little bit later, he says, but God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, right? So the diagnosis is we're all messed up and we can't do it on our own, but God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. This phrase, sacrifice of atonement, is the Greek word propitiation, which I can hardly pronounce, let alone spell, but you should look up propitiation and it means wrath bearer. Jesus knows that we're sick and comes to planet earth to bear the wrath of God upon his shoulders so that you and I can go free and be healthy. And when the health of Christ comes into our lives, then we can breed health into our culture and our society. He sends us out healthy and forgiven and new to make a difference in this world and to bring light and love into a world that's chaotic. 
We're going to talk more about this. This is just week one of some of this stuff, and I know it's hard. I know this is thick. So one assignment for you this week, it's just to ask yourself these two questions. How do I suppress truth? We all do it. We put our fingers in our ears because we don't want to hear about our physical health or our relational health or our emotional health or our spiritual health. We don't want an accurate diagnosis of what's actually happening in our lives, in our culture. Can I encourage you? That leads to destruction of your spiritual, emotional, emotional, relational, cultural life. Pull your fingers out of your ears. The truth sets you free. So... We're all tempted to suppress what is true and look the other way and pretend like it's not reality. Reality leads you to, to health. False reality and deception leads you to hell. Now and forever. So can I encourage you to be realists? To look at your life, to look at your relationships, to look at your existence and be honest. Where am I suppressing truth? And secondly, where am I exchanging God for false gods? Where am I replacing the God of the universe, the creator and the sustainer and the savior of everything, putting him aside and going, I want another one. I want a different one. Where are you doing that? Because we all do it, right? So when I'm struggling at work and I'm stressed out at work, I want comfort and my God is supposed to be my comforter, but a bag of chips feels much more comforting than God. I exchange the comfort of God for a bag of ruffles. You don't ever do that, do you? We all do it, right? Where is that happening in your life? That's your homework assignment. Where are you suppressing truth and where are you replacing God with a false God? And let's keep journeying through Romans together. God, help us. I pray today to be realists, to actually look at the truth because the truth is what sets us free. Help us to see clearly who you are, that you are loving and just in all your ways, that your wrath is good news, that you intensely hating sin and evil is good news. Because if you were neutral, if the things that are wrong today aren't someday going to be made right, we're lost. If the evil that's happening in our world today isn't going to be stopped and silenced, then we're lost. But if this is true, good news of who you are, that in your love you're revealing your wrath to give us choices and to put on display the fact that we suppress truth and we exchange you for cheap substitutes, things that will lead us astray, help us to see the truth, to embrace you as God with whatever that costs or whatever it takes, help us to have humble hearts who want to know the truth because the truth will set us free and will enable us to be a source of love and light in this dark world. Help us to be like Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.